yeah, like I was saying, I, uh, I, I haven't done anything for like almost five months. And then I just got mm-hmm. called back into work and I'm here in California mm-hmm. where like deaths are peaking and I couldn't be yeah. fucking happier. I'm exhausted as shit. I mean, I'm making so much money. <laughs> where are you working? I work uh, at a uh, undisclosed uh, guitar franchise. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. And are you dealing with a lot of people? Like, are, are is it open to the public or is it yeah, open for like the it, side? It's open to the public, but it's like almost the best, most ideal um, setup for me. Just because, like, now people can't demo things for, like, eight hours and drive you insane. Yeah. yeah. So it's <laughs> it's just, like, <laughs> my life has improved dramatically, yeah. you know. And, and then it's, there's, like, out of a, a switch in, what's it called? Um, uh, as, as a switch in, like, the way that life is being experienced right now with co- a coronavirus guitars mm-hmm. which is what the, the department that i'm in gets mm-hmm. fucking crazy busy and, oh, yeah. and yeah and no one's really buying pro audio and it's crazy yeah. so but yeah huh. so so i'm like super exhausted i have a backup uh monster energy which i try not to drink them but i kind of keep it there as a backup and like it's like this how can how long can i resist you <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> Totally. But it's uh, it's great to meet you. I actually, uh, yeah. like I said earlier, I don't really do too much research on people um, before I, I meet them because I just kind of like, like, I find that pos- podcasting is a pretty intimate exchange, even mm-hmm. if we're not like seeing in person. Uh, so, and then the topic is basically my way of getting to know you. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I did do a little like look at your website beforehand. And mm-hmm. I, re- I noticed that you were a curator, you're a curator and you do you not uh, define as an artist at all? No, I don't. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I never, never have. Uh, no, no, I just wanted, I, I, I just wanted to make that distinction from context, but I, I mean, you have a practice, right? You have a curatorial practice. So like, I always find that yeah. distinction interesting. Uh, and, and like, I, I don't disrespectfully feel skeptical about <laughs> that distinction, but I do think that like, my vibe of you is that you're sort of an artsy person and I like, but I don't like saying that artsy, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you're, yeah, like yeah. I think that you, you have an, you're a person with a practice in the arts, if that yeah. makes you more comfortable. But I yeah. definitely don't feel like it's completely distant from making having an art practice. Yeah. I mean, I have, yes, I consider my curatorial and my writing work, especially to be a practice yeah. and, um, one that is informed by interests and a sensibility. Um, so I guess in that way, you know, my practice, like a lot of other writers and curators can be considered artistic. Um, and until very recently, you know, like we're talking about like what we do for work, I basically looked at what I did to make money as a day job to support my practice, much yeah. like an artist would do. Um, so I guess that's another way. And Well, I, 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 and I think that, that the, the reason it's important for me to bring that up is because um, that's how I felt uh, a, an interest in inviting you. Because you do, like, I mean, it, you, you don't seem like you're completely separate. Like, I, almost, I, I basically didn't realize you weren't 
you didn't self-define, self-identify as an artist until like mm-hmm. I looked at your website, mm-hmm. um, which which was like an interesting <laughs> um, uh, thing. But I'm t- super excited to talk to you because you have a de- very different perspective than most of the people that I have on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let me do a quick intro because I okay. forgot to do that. Welcome, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to What's My Thesis. I'm your host, Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found to the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview through research and ask, what's my thesis? And today, my guest is Anna Iwataki. Oh, it's Anna, but Anna. you got the last name right. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah. It's okay. I know. I, I, people, <laughs> I, I, today, I, or recently, I was saying to somebody that, was telling me their Korea, the, that they had a Korean name and an English name. And I was like, my English name is Javier and my Spanish name is Javier. So I, mm-hmm. I, I can totally relate to what just yeah. happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, and well, I mean, I guess we've already given you an, a bit of an intro about your background. Uh, where is you, I, your Skype says that you're, or like that it was made when you were in Paris. So I want to oh. ask about that. Oh, I did not realize that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I lived in Paris for five years. Wow. I'm from LA and I'm back here now. But I moved to Paris right after I finished undergrad in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was like a very formative time. I was I basically spent like the ages of, you know, 22 to 27 there. So um, I, in a lot of ways, I feel like living in France shaped um, how I see the world as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up getting my master's there in curating at the Sorbonne. And then after that, um, for a couple of years, I ran a an, an artist-run space, basically. Um, cool. an, an independent exhibition space called Chenene. In, um, in France? In, in France, pa- yeah, in Paris. In, in Paris. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's so funny. Just earlier today, I was. Uh, I skyped with one of my old, uh, old co directors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a space that started nine years ago. Um, not by me. It was started by t- a curator and an artist. Um, they eventually left to start a commercial space called High Art, and then. Since then, it's kind of been passed down through different uh, generations of people running it. Um, and yeah, it still exists. Interesting. And you said that you graduated your undergrad in 2011. So mm-hmm. what, what, what generation? That's my polite way of asking women how old they are. Are oh. you? <laughs> uh, I'm 31. Oh, no. <laughs> I wanted, to, I wanted yeah. you to say millennial represent. Oh, I see. Great. <laughs> well, okay. There you go. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. But, um, so, and then, so, how, What what is that experience like for you of going, getting accustomed to a different cultural experience and then coming back to LA and especially coming back to LA because that's such a specific, like, I, I've, I ask because I've also done that uh um moving from one place to another and then you Mm -hmm. come back and you're like whoa yeah but but uh LA is so specific Uh, I'm curious to hear about what coming back 
um, yes. was like? <laughs> well, first, uh, first thing to know is that I moved back in December of 2016. Oof. So yeah. it was, it was really intense to come yeah. back here. Uh, I remember not like just maybe the week after I moved back. Um, it was just before Christmas and I like needed to go to the Americana for some reason. I don't mm-hmm. know why. Um, but what was your like, Americana that you were going for? What oh, was your go-to? I, oh, I went to the, the Americana, like the mall in Glendale. Oh, okay. I thought you were like, you, you were craving something specific American. Oh, no, no, no. I, yeah, I needed to, I don't know what I needed to buy, but it was in full on like Christmas mode there. And I just had this like really intense, like experience of almost vertigo being like, did I really just choose to move back to this like, in like hyper saturated, like capitalist place in yeah. this moment? Um, you know, especially coming from after, France, dude. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> after the election in 2016, I was like, am I really going to leave like yeah. the healthcare system here to go back to the U S right now? Like it was, uh, yeah, it was scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and in the five years that I had been away, I mean, I came back to visit often, but LA really changed a lot during that time. Yeah. Demographically it's shifted like crazy. Yeah. Like so many of the neighborhoods that I knew well looked different. Um, people were living in neighborhoods that, you know, I mean, you know, it was just like all of the gentrification stuff. It just was a very different place. Um, and it made me pretty grumpy actually when I first moved back. Um, I, it, 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 it's a weird thing also, um, just to interject, like to find yourself frustrated that there's so many white people, like, yeah. so, like, uh, there's something that fucks with you like that, you know? Cause then yeah. you're like, man, am I being racist? But like, no, it's this powerful force that you can't like control. So I, I definitely understand that grumpiness. Like it just makes you pissed off. Yeah. And I mean, definitely. And that feeling um, actually has like led to a lot of the things that I'm interested in now, like, you know, in regards to my research and my writing, Mm -hmm. because I started interrogating that feeling of grumpiness because it felt at times like it was like rubbing up against xenophobia, like being like leave or like, if you just got here, you don't belong here. And I started asking myself, like, I don't know, like, what right do I have to feel like this? Um, just because I grew up here, just because my family on one side has been here for a few generations, like, does that really give me the right to feel this much ownership over this place? Um, just because I was born here doesn't mean that I'm not complicit in a lot of the things that I'm getting upset about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, that's definitely still something that I am working through. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was weird because like when I was growing up, people would shit on LA, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I so, mean, have you seen, yeah. uh, LA plays itself? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you, it, yeah. It, I, I guess it's hard to get now, but like, that is like a very 
well put together <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, discussion about that in particular, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And especially that there's this whole section on Woody Allen shitting on Allen. It's like, yeah. <laughs> in retrospect, it's like, fuck you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I'm always curious because, like, you know, now it's like, how cocky are you about being a New Yorker? <laughs> you, yeah. You know, like, your city's great, but, like, ooh, it's not very pandemic-proof. Oh, man, I, I know. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that, like, you know, well, it's, I mean, it's crazy here now, but if I had to go through the pandemic and, like, the tiny places that I lived in in Paris, it would have been, it would have been rough. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up in Italy, and there was a period where that shit was crazy. Oh, yeah, that's right. Where did you grow up in Italy? In what, Rome. My, uh, my, dad, my dad worked for the UN, and we were, uh, his office was right. I don't know, have you, have you been? I imagine I have it, not. I've never been uh, to Rome. Been to other many other places in Italy, but never Rome. Oh man, I'm gonna have yeah. to judge you on that one because yeah. you know. <laughs> it's the eternal city, man. No, uh, uh, you're gonna have to figure out a way to get there someday. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, uh, yeah, it it um, it was an intense place to grow up. Uh, I grew up in the part outside called uh, Eur which is mm-hmm. which were marshlands that were drained by Mussolini and all of that is very fascist period architecture mm-hmm. it's amazing it's fucking wow. crazy and it's one of those things where uh, you know there's there's uh, been a discussion a little bit about the um the statues being taken down and i think people like uh Matt Taibbi have been saying things like, which makes sense, is that, you know, in that case, the, the like in, in Rome, a lot of that fascist propaganda, and I think also in Germany, a lot of that is kept up so that we don't forget all of this shit, right? Mm-hmm. But over here, the oppressors are still in power. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to take them down, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, which was really fascinating. Uh, uh, I, I was, it was one of those things that I was trying to resolve in my head and to hear someone say it so concisely um, yeah. was, was really helpful for me. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, it is intense to, um, to go to those places and, and, and then to think like, I don't know, just the way that, all of a sudden, doctors from Cuba were like <laughs> super important, and like that. That is, it, it's a, it's a weird thing when you talk about Cuba because obviously it's fraught with a lot of political uh, bullshit. But um, the idea that basically what they're exporting is like medically trained professionals <laughs> and that somehow despite all the rhetoric about against like you know like they they trade doc they tr- like they literally trade doctors with venezuela for oil right and so it's wow. just yeah it's it's a weird upending of everything right yeah <laughs> i mean not wow, that the I italians that. aren't pro-communist they 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 have a communist party that's pretty active over there but um but yeah, anyway, let, uh, I, I mean, I've, it, it, we've gone a, a very off topic. What is your Sorry. topic? No, no, no. Like, we haven't, okay. dis, 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 uh, I haven't learned what your topic is today. Yeah. Um, 
I guess it's a little bit difficult for me to say it concisely, but that's okay. I, Sometimes we jump around. So, yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's not unrelated to what I was saying about, you know, trying to interrogate this feeling of ownership over Los Angeles. Um, mm. but basically I, after I finished school in France, I started getting really interested in like using digestion as, as a metaphor to understand, um, collaborative relationships and like the influence, um, we have on each other, particularly in a relationship like between the artist and the curator or, um, you know, I work as a translator as well. So between the translator and the work being translated, um, and that has kind of like turned into a few different strains of things. Um, most recently, uh, like questions of porosity and fluidity have made me interested in water, um, which made me interested in the LA river and, I started thinking a lot about, um, uh, okay, I guess I'll, I'll back up a little bit. I, and then, so I ended up writing this piece about, uh, actually, maybe that's not the most, anyway, I, I'm, I've become very interested in looking at how I come to live in the place that I live and this idea of genealogical disclosure, um, which I've heard specifically, or I've seen used specifically by like Asian American theorists who are writing about, um, Asians in diaspora and, uh, an Asian diasporic relationship to land and place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just because we're settlers of color, doesn't mean that we're not settlers. Um, oh, okay. So you're, you're saying that there's a power inherent there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, cause actually, yeah, I didn't think that's where you were going, but I was picking up on that. So I was like, Oh, that was your point. Yeah. But, um, but that's interesting because I also think it's interesting the use of the word diaspora. Mm-hmm. Um, because is it, 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 it like, and, I think that's what threw me off because I don't know. I guess I don't really fully, I mean, I know what diaspora means, but I don't know specifically, like, I guess fleeing from uh, uh, Cuba as refugees, would that be a diaspora as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, it, see, that's that, but like, what are you guys running away from? Or are you pursuing opportunity? It's yeah. I mean, diaspora, I, it's not, you know, it's very different from, okay. So it is, so which means like, you know, that's something really specific, but yeah, yeah. It's just people living outside of uh, a homeland. Basically. Okay. Okay. Um, and so like, you know, on my father's side, I'm Japanese American. Um, it was my great grandparents who came to California in the early 1900s. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, you know, that was just like the classic thing of trying to find a better life. Um, and on my mother's side, she's Filipino. She was born in Manila and she moved here with her family in the 1960s to Berkeley. Um, and you know, there, I, I've like 
learned through reading, like, again, like Asian American theorists about this kind of like triangulated relationship where there's, you know, the position of being indigenous, the position of the white settler, and then the position of um, basically, you know, there are a few different terms for it, but a settler of color. And the reason why my family, like, knew about this uh, narrative of, like, being able to start a new life and, like, find whatever the American dream is because of um, a really violent history. And even if they have and continue to experience discrimination and different kinds of oppression, it doesn't mean that they don't also benefit from it. And that the reason why I've been able to um, continue to live in the way that I do is because of that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting. Um, cause I've actually had guests on that, um, have talked about, uh, Japan as an oppressor. Yeah. And and it's interesting to hear your side take or like you from your side taking uh responsibility for it. I mean obviously that's on the Japanese side. <laughs> and then like mm-hmm. you said, did you have you uh, so I've actually been to Manila. I've never been to Japan. Mm-hmm. But uh my dad was uh staying there with his girlfriend for a while and uh, who is Filipina. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. Mm -hmm. and um it was interesting there was a few things that i talked about on the show before but specifically i don't know if you've have you been there recently or have you ever seen okay there's a this guy that is a guide but he's almost like a performance artist that does this really intense narrative of the history of manila and mm-hmm. it's it's like you go to the part of the city that still remains uh intact like and i forget what that part is like maybe it's old manila or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. and it's all the spanish colonial stuff that's still there yeah. yeah because it didn't get bombed to shit and so he talks about um how there was an art deco city. It was like one of the most progressive uh, cities. It was like where the East met, met the West. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was like huge commerce going on there. And then during the Second World War, there was, a, uh, I think it was Douglas MacArthur who like to, 100% just betrayed <laughs> the people. And they got firebombed like crazy. And one of the things that people forget about like, um, when we dropped the atomic bombs is that firebombing was so normal that like, it didn't really matter if it was like a hundred bombs or just one. Right. It was like, so like the, the, the news of the, of the bomb wasn't even that widespread. Uh, it, it didn't really seem to make much of a distinction from the point of the person getting bombed, but Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So like that, that I always found that very interesting. And, uh, 
I wish I knew his name because anybody that goes there, I would like, I mean, that's maybe one of the most intense and best things to do in Manila. But then there's also like a culture there where a lot of things are branded with like GI and American, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So it's, it's, it's a fucking crazy thing. And not to mention the skin whitening creams that are sold and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Philippines has a really intense and like in many ways, dark history of just being colonized by uh, a lot of different people. And, you know, in, within my own family, you know, on one side, they're the colonizers and, and on the other, it's the colonized. Like my, my, it's funny, my mom has, um, two siblings who also are, or at one point were married to Japanese people. And her, her grand or her father was like in the Filipino army fighting the Japanese. And he would like, you know, kind of have this, uh, gallows humor about the fact that, three of his children like ending up with Japanese American people was like the you know the Japanese ultimate revenge on him um, yo that's deep <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know it's and then on the other hand uh, also like on my Japanese side uh my on my father's family most of them were in the incarceration camps that uh the United States Oh, really? Japanese Americans in. Um, and at the same time, like my grandfather was fighting in the U.S. Army at the same time that his parents and his wife were locked up in, in these camps. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's interesting for me to think about all these like layered complexities and try to hold all of the, uh, the nuances and things that, you know, are, I don't know. I'm interested in the things that are difficult to explain and difficult to speak about in one way. I wish more people were into that kind of shit, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It, it, it does feel like there's even, even, um, on the side of people who are trying to progress, move dialogue forward and fight, uh, you know, white supremacy there is a simplification of things because it is a little bit easier that uh because like i mean spanish and uh, or american imperialism has not died right people people keep thinking about it like as if it's over and it's it's a real fucking problem because i think that like a lot of people they don't realize that all of the stuff that we're doing to other countries is a test case like you know they're they're all test cases they're all like experiments and then now we see that with this pandemic it's all being internalized like we we are a country being cannibalized by oligarchs they don't care about about uh borders they haven't they you know like all of the fucking people that we're supposed to think were good people uh are fascists as well right um and it's there's there's uh there's a real fucking reckoning coming, yeah. <laughs> and, and and it's terrifying, but it's also kind of exciting. Like it's like that bubbling feeling <laughs> that you get. Yeah. But yeah, but for some people, you know, like I like I said at the beginning of this fucking podcast, I I am glad to be back at work because I am lucky, dude. I <laughs> I uh, and 
Uh, and it's insane. It's really insane that I feel that way. But like, that's how deep that, because I, I, on, a, on an intellectual le level, <laughs> I understand that's not good. But on a very emotional level, there's like this fucking relief and there's this sense of accomplishment. I'm like, I'm a good boy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm doing yeah. my part. Like, it's so programmed, like I can't fucking fight it. So I it's, <laughs> uh, it, I, it, I really enjoy this like sense of complexity that we're like sitting in because it really hurts i like being a salesperson for a corporate entity and uh and they're in a sense i feel like they're protecting me and how mm -hmm. fucked up is that oh god yeah <laughs> you know like how deep is that that's not their fault i don't want to sh shit on my boss i'm saying like legit i feel like they're taking care of me but yeah. um but even having to say that is like uh tells you of like how free our speech is right yeah so yeah <laughs> oh God. yeah i mean it's at least though it's starting to be something that people are actually like trying to look at in the face like we you know like you said we're seeing things that were largely invisible to us just like laid out so bare, like the way that we, the, the United States like flexes its power in other places is like, you know, now they're starting to do it to white people in the streets. And so people are talking about it. Um, yeah. and I don't know. We'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Well, here's an argument that is complex, right? Is, mm -hmm. is the idea that um, we're very upset that Trump is in office. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, without him in office, we wouldn't be addressing a lot of this shit, right? We wouldn't be yes. fighting fascist, fascism so openly. Yeah. We wouldn't be fighting white supremacy so openly. Even though, uh, you know, if uh, how misogynist would the world, how much more misogynist would the world have become if like Hillary Clinton became uh, yeah. president? I mean, yeah. she's a fucking war criminal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, not exactly the best uh, person to represent femininity. Right. It's almost mm -hmm. like she's rewarded for being a war hawk and playing the boys game. And like, mm -hmm. is that what we want? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm obviously aware that I'm a man and <laughs> no, no, no. It's, I mean, it's true though. And like how much, how much violence and like would have been carried out just under the guise of like normality, you know? And it just like would have gone unseen. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Uh, I'm glad we're on the same page on that. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. what, so you said you had some, some things that maybe were like, um, hard to connect. So is there, is there anywhere that you would like to jump to from here? Oh, um, hmm. uh, I guess I, I mean, I've become very interested in the history of Los Angeles and like how it's come to look and function the way it does. Mm. Um, I, but I still also like, I, I mean, I think on the surface, it kind of seems like the digestion and porosity stuff 
kind of fell away, but it's still like very, um, to me. Porosity? What was that word? Porosity, like how things are porous, how things. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Like move in and out, uh, of each other. Um, and I guess, you know, thinking about obviously the history of water is so much a part of knowing about the history of Los Angeles. Um, yeah, I, well, it's also the, the home of a very intense propagandistic, uh, branch of American imperialism. Right. And that is one of the complexities that we're also starting to deal with. And like, you know, at a certain point in the mid 20th century, a third of the U.S.'s defense budget was being spent in Southern California because Mm. there were so many like aircraft manufacturers. It like there was just like a whole industry um, that that the defense industry like really made California what it is Uh, like the suburbs that are around Los Angeles. So many of them exist because of defense money. Um, Mm. and like the GI bill is what allowed like so many people to become homeowners in those suburbs. And so just let me add a little fuck boomers here, but go ahead. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. It's just, you know, it's, um, it's easy to think about California being this really liberal place. <laughs> and, you know, in a lot of ways, we are lucky to be here uh, compared to how things are going down in other places in the United States. But still, um, there's, uh, yeah, we're just not at all free from the U.S.'s like relationship to imperialism. It's. I would go further than that and say that it, it's actually a very right wing place. Uh, there's. <laughs> th- it's. It flexes very cultural, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or it's very. It's actually like intensely. If you if you look back at media in the '90s, you know, like for example, I know that she's a hack, but Deborah Messing mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and Alyssa Milano, like they're fucking swinging their dicks around like they're important people that have done something for anybody but themselves. But in reality, you know, the fucking, the only person of color on that pro-gay show was a, um, a like, uh, was the maid, was the help, right? Oh, right, So, So it's like she gets all these bona bona fides for being associated with this, like, intensely class privilege depiction of successful gay people right yeah while they're disparaging people of color as like the help that's witty and gives yeah. it, you know like it's like it yeah. fuck you you know yeah. and then you have uh this other woman uh Alyssa milano who's like flexing hard about not wanting you know about america uh, the redskins changing their name but she had she had like 
shirts and and like garments made from her touch by Alyssa Milano brand <laughs> that yeah. were like uh you know and there's pictures of her in the fucking shirts <laughs> so it's like it's the dumbest shit dude yeah. so so that's that's what when we think of liberalism that's what we get but they don't yeah. give a fuck about killing people they don't yeah. give a fuck about that you know like Elon Musk just trolled everybody about uh you know he says we'll coo whoever we want uh, about uh the the coup in Bolivia mm-hmm. that like he directly benefited from because it was about lithium. So it's mm-hmm. just like, there's no, you know, there's no way of saying that this is not a right wing place. Like we shit uh, during all that period that, that we were watching uh, just shoot me and friends and all of that. Like all of that media was shitting on people in the middle of the country and yeah. calling it flyover country. And so now yeah. leftists, I think, are starting to realize, oh, that's what they do to us. They do to us what they used to do to the Republicans or what they still do to Republicans, right? Mm-hmm. And like, if you hold people who are conservative accountable for Mitch McConnell and you don't hold your, and you think that Nancy Pelosi is great, you're a fucking dick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, well, it's, it's true. And, um, yeah, it, well, I mean, just thinking about like Los Angeles's responsibility for, you know, how it, the, the values that it, uh, gets out into the world through yeah. all the media that's produced here. I mean, that's just like a, an enormous thing that is uh it's like they say that that the russians hacked our election we hacked the fucking world with propaganda yeah you know so it's it's insane yeah so what so uh, you were saying something about water before we got off on the the right wing left wing thing and Mm -hmm. how it flows um yeah i mean it's just kind of like a something that i like to use as a starting point um you know, thinking about, again, like going back to how I have arrived here and the the Pacific Ocean, this body of water that like connects me to that, like was the literal, um, the thing that brought my great grandparents here. And what, the, what specifically about the river brought them here? Oh, no, the, the Pacific Ocean. Oh, the Pacific Ocean. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's just, you know, like a potent meta, a thing that can become a potent metaphor and, Mm. uh, allows me, I mean, at least in my mind to be interested in a lot of different things and find a way to bring them together. Um, you know, where did your parents meet? Um, my parents met at a restaurant on sunset that doesn't exist anymore called Imperial Gardens. Uh, and yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, my, they were introduced by the owner. Um, my, my dad was a musician. Um, and I think he had like just played somewhere else on sunset and, um, my mom was there with her boyfriend at the time. <laughs> was he Filipino? Uh, oh, tell me he wasn't Filipino. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Taken by a Japanese man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I have no idea, actually. I should ask her. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. 
So yeah, well, that's interesting too because they, they uh, I like I, it. Kind of came up as a question, like, hmm, where where would a Filipino man and a Japanese woman meet? Uh, that like, what do you, what would the dynamics be if they were meeting in like uh, Manila <laughs> versus meeting in Tokyo? Oh, yeah. You know, I know. Well, you know, my mom grew up in Berkeley, which was, um. I mean, for a, a place at that time was very diverse and like she had, a, like she grew up with a lot of Japanese American people. Um, what, how many generations American are you? On my dad's side, I'm, oh wait, uh, I'm fourth generation, no, third generation. Mm-hmm. And on your mom's side? On my mom's side, I'm second generation. So she, it's, so she was born in, in the U.S.? No, she was born in... Okay. Yeah, in I just... Because uh, uh, different people, like, count it differently, so I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, that's, <laughs> well, that's why I wasn't sure. So my basically my great... My grandfather was the first one to be born in the U.S. on my dad's side, and I'm the first okay. one to be born in the U.S. on my mom's side. That's interesting. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, th- like, I've never even thought of that math because I'm just used to immigrants. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, t- Cuban, Cuban immigration is so, like recent that it's like you know (laughs) yeah yeah and it that's another thing that's you know it's interesting to observe the two sides of my families and how um you know uh how their creations of their histories but you know like again u.s imperialism like my mom already spoke perfect english when she moved here because Uh. like the everything American was good in the Philippines at that time in like the fifties and the sixties. And they were punished at school if they spoke Tagalog. And so, you know, basically nobody has an accent and, um, there's, it's weird. I mean, yeah, it's very weird to like just, you know, living products of, uh, of that. That's Um, interesting also because, uh, of their Spanish, Spanish colonialist roots. And then like how the Spanish treat the Catalans mm-hmm. and that the, the famously also fascist were, uh, um, person who did not allow them to speak their own language. That's, mm-hmm. that's always like a crazy power move. Yeah. I like, it's almost inconceivable now, right. To yeah. us, like, I can't even wrap my head around like, no, you cannot speak your shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, like, like so many, immigrants like my like Japanese died out in my family quite quickly um yeah even like my grandfather he described his Japanese as like baby Japanese um and especially his language mm -hmm, his language skills okay okay yeah um and especially after the war and after the incarceration camps like they the family like really um you know, they wanted to be seen as the perfect American citizens. Yeah, um, I can see that, like, external yeah. pressure, yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't until, like, my father's generation, um, you know, as they got older and, like, started seeing and being steeped in, like, the broader civil rights movement, they started to, like, really, like, get pissed off and... um want to rebel against that. So there are a lot of activists in the Japanese American community who come from that generation, including, um, my aunt. And it's, I mean, that is one thing that is, it's really cool. They've, Mm. um, 
the that like painful history has made a lot of Japanese Americans like very progressive and they have been like very um they continue to be active not only for issues that have to do with the Japanese American community but you know they like understand they're very the community yeah the communities of color like experience they're very they're, they're very supportive i i see a lot especially in oakland i see that a lot uh in uh, in protests like things like yellow peril supports um yeah. black panthers and whatnot yeah. like at which I, I until this moment i had no idea about so like it's nice to have uh the asian american community sort of a, as activists represent their activism openly so that we can see like yeah like who you you know there's a big thing now i think is like white people are realizing that they have not done shit you yeah. know <laughs> and like and and so as all of this activism becomes more uh, uh present and visible and people realize like yo the browns yeah there are a lot of uh, brown Latino people who are racist against black people. There are a lot of brown Latinos who are racist against darker skin Latino people. But overall, there are very, also very strong like progressive movements within these um, communities of people that yeah. are like, no, fuck. If you go for them, they're coming for us. And I think that yeah. that's kind of what we're talking about in terms of imperialism. Like That's what's happening. And unfortunately, it took like them to be victimized by the same ext wealth extraction mechanisms uh, for white people to become aware of like, you know, yeah. what's happening. So yeah. it's yeah. insane. And it's, you know, it's, it is. And it's all the, it's like, I don't know, in some ways it's heartening because like in, you know, in 1992, they're one of the big like um, stories that we that we know from that time is that there was like a lot of animosity between um, like the black and the Asian communities, like particularly like the Korean um, shop owners. And when, you know, little Tokyo is like right next to city hall. Mm. Uh, and so in like May and June, when the protests were happening, there was some damage done to some stores, but the most of the, the store owners were like pretty quick to say like, this is not about our property damage. Like we're not going to turn this into, you know, they just like didn't want that kind of like ugly narrative of like pitting their community against another community to happen. And um, like very purposefully, you know, mm. sent out messages of support and like, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 So what about so, there's a couple of things that I want to ask and I'm trying to decide which one first. Is there a tendency within the family to be more competitive about their roots to their culture or is that you, you know <laughs> is that a thing? Or is that not? And then also I want to uh -huh. ask about like what's it what is it like to be an Angelino growing up? Like, uh, you know, you're 31. So what, what, what years did you live here growing up that were formative? Like, you know, what were, when were you a teenager here? Um, uh, I was a teenager here in the early 2000s. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, boy band time. 
Yeah, totally. Word. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's one of the things I think about now a lot is like what it must be like to be a teenager and have access to Uber and Lyft here. Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, when I was growing up, especially because like my parents were quite strict and they didn't really, yeah, they didn't really love me taking public transportation. Um, it makes you like really dependent on your parents or Mm -hmm. people who can drive to do things. Um, and so I can imagine that must change the experience of growing up here a lot. Uh, I don't know. It was, um, I don't know. It's hard for me to answer that because it's, it was just my childhood, you know? Yeah. um, Well, I mean, maybe, maybe descriptions of things that you're nostalgic for. Oh, um, like, you know, I, I totally understand how the way I phrased the question may have been over, (laughs) like a big chunk to bite off, but like, just like take us down memory lane, like where, you know, like for example, for me, Miami growing up was a lot of drugs and being a raver. (laughs) <laughs> right like uh it sounds like you had a much more strict upbringing but like what what kind of uh what was your like cutting loose rebellious streak you know like what was that LA for you yeah. or did you or, or did, was that not something that was available to you because of the uh limitations of travel um I mean I I went to high school on the west side and so mm. my experience experience as a teenager was definitely, uh, colored by that. And so it was like a lot of, uh, a lot of like house parties and like really fancy houses. Um, yeah. (laughs) So like a fucking teen movie. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You lived, uh, you know, there's that, which one is that? She's all that or Uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Where they end up in Leo Carrillo. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, okay, because I was just going to say, I also did do a lot of drinking on the beach. So, oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I guess in some ways it was like a teen movie. Um, <laughs> oh, we'll, I'll make sure you, uh, to cut this out for your yeah. parents. <laughs> no, no, I mean, no, it's, it's fine. But it, yeah, it's, uh, it's just funny to think about it. Um, but I don't know, like there were a lot more... Um, like hole in the wall stuff, like a lot of the restaurants and little markets that I love are not around. I don't know. It's just, uh, I almost feel like a cliche being like, there was this like a bookstore that I loved and it doesn't exist before. <laughs> um, but that's the kind of stuff that I think about and like yeah. miss when what, I think about um, what kind of style, like, like, let's lighten up. Let's, <laughs> we're ending, so let's not end yeah. on a downer. Like, what kind yeah. of styles were you wearing? You know, like, were you slap bracelets, that kind of shit? Were you yeah. playing with pogs? Because, I mean, all of my references are from the fucking 90s, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it's kind of embarrassing because it really makes it sound like I was such a, I mean, I, I was like a real California teenager. Like, uh-huh. I wore, like, Abercrombie and Fitch jean mini skirts and tank tops. Nice. Uh, I, yeah, I, um, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's so 2000. I've, I, you know, yes. I've never had this conversation with someone that lived during this period and it was fucking crazy. I had, I, you know, I had frosted tips, bro. So it was like, yeah. who the fuck am I <laughs> to say yeah, anything? Totally. Like we all had this like moment where it, where it was like, it was almost like this reaction to, uh, um, like, like and, yeah, yeah, to this anti-corporatist thing, and is yeah. like, yeah, we're all corporatists now. Fuck yeah, yeah Creed. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, absolutely. You know, like I was very into like Juicy Couture and like you know all <laughs> all that shit. Did it like, say Juicy on your butt? I did not have one of those. Okay, I, I, I kept it classy because that shit got <laughs> weird for a while when little girls were wearing that. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> and then when it was on little shorts, it was just like, whoa, yeah. why are you bringing my eye there, dude? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those times were fucking crazy. What else? What else was happening? So that, you, oh, so you grew up during the Bush years, like mm-hmm. intense, huh? I did. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. So, yeah, that's another thing that like, as you get older, you realize the power of generational like um, memory loss. Mm-hmm. Right. Like where like people like me who are the last of the Gen Z years, you know, and I, identi- I definitely identified more as a grunge person, even though I sold out and frosted my tips eventually. <laughs> I, uh, I just, it's like, um, I remember when people were anti-war mm-hmm. and, and that was pretty much up until Obama became president. You know, like that's, that was the switch. Yeah. 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 I know it's, yeah, that's true. That's true. And yeah, sorry. I was just, uh, trying to remember. I mean, the, it was definitely like not, at least the people I knew though, when I was a teenager were not very political. Yeah. Um, definitely not. Well, you were in a fucking teen movie with, I, <laughs> with beautiful people whose lives look like the movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's one of the things that you forget. Generations of like hot people moving to the city <laughs> uh, are, have been procreating and like even non-actors are like gorgeous, like, yeah. you know, uh, genetic God species. It's true. It's true. A number of people I went to high school with became models. It's true. Yeah. I I have to stop. Like it it wasn't all like that, but it was. No, but but we can we can say that, but then we can also have fun living in this world. Yeah. This fake teen movie. Yeah. What what kind of so what are you doing right now during quarantine? Like how are you um, staying active in your practice? Are you working? So I lost my job in April. Mm -hmm. Um, and since then I've been doing some freelance work, but I'm actually about to start a PhD program at USC in like two weeks. Uh, Mm -hmm. and I mean, I just couldn't be more grateful for it right now to have that stability. Um, because it's, you know, like getting paid to go to school for five years. Um, yeah. And so So they still give stipends now? They do. Yeah. I mean, right. I got my offer like Oh, I guess no. COVID. I mean, COVID had happened already. Um I I don't know what the state of that is going to be like going forward, but 
Um, yeah. yeah, for but me. So you know. didn't they try to pull that and then at some point, so they have put it reinstituted that? No, they never. They never at, pulled it. Yeah, not at USC. Um, I heard that that was the case, like that people who hadn't accepted their offers yet, um, like their offers were being rescinded at other places. Uh, uh, so then but, what was uh, just, I'm sorry, like not to make you talk about your new school uh, that, that you might not know all the details on, but okay. what, what is, um, what was the deal with the, the, the kids that, uh, that like went on strike that wasn't there like a graduating class that just oh. decided not to. Oh, the, you're talking about the, the MFA dropouts. Yeah. The MFA. Oh, Oh, that I, maybe, <laughs> maybe let's use a different term. Cause I think they were well, protesters. <laughs> well, that's what they, I think that's what they call themselves. Oh, okay. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> oh, but that was, that was like a few years ago. Maybe you were talking about the UC Santa Cruz protesters. No, no, I think it, it was definitely USC. Cause I, oh, I remember, okay. I, cause I just remember that, or I, that's why I thought it was, I thought that was related to, um, the uh, stipend. Anyway, let's talk about what you're excited about. I just wanted a clarification, but it seems like a, I, I should just Google it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, as they just, they left, they didn't, they left the program. Oh, okay. That was it. Yeah. And yeah. they were protesting something about like the faculty, right? Then they, the, basically the program dramatically changed Okay. Um, after they started and that's the Ryoski Ro- or whatever, right? Yeah, they didn't have like basically any of the things that they were promised. Um, yeah. So they, that's yeah, that whole up. class left. Yeah. So okay. So so I, I but I guess it wasn't taking away the stipend. They they just made like some huge changes. Uh. So so no, that's amazing though. Like to and I mean, it's not it, it, despite the fact that we would like to resist imperialist society, I also want to recognize that, like, that's an amazing accomplishment to get, uh, you know, within the structure of capitalist imperialism. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's an amazing opportunity to get. So, you know, they, it, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fucking great, like, for you professionally. So I want to oh. congratulate you on that. Thank um, you. Yeah, thank you. Um, that doesn't really come easy. Yeah, I mean, I again, I feel really grateful to have the stability. I'm also uh, very aware that UC, the USC, is um, it, it's a problematic place in a lot of ways. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, it. I, I've started to feel like you know there are a couple of like a lot of different groups on campus who are since COVID and since, you know, everything the last few months have become much more active and are trying to organize. And, uh, you know, USC, I recently found out is the biggest private employer in LA. Really? And, you know, that part of town is fucking insane, dude. Yeah. You want to talk gentrification. Oh my God. I know. (laughs) It's Disneyland, dude. It's full on simulacra. It's not, it's not a real place. I know. I mean, totally. And that's, so it seems like, it's a worthwhile place to put my energies because since it's such a, you know, it's just a huge monster, um, making some changes there or like trying to ask for some changes there. Uh, so yeah. And it is a time where students do have power to fucking shame boomers, (laughs) which is what I call that. Um, it's it's interesting though, and and I do think that um, what's it called? 
like I do, I've had some friends or I have friends that are, uh, Ivy league grads that, Mm -hmm. you know, especially like not just in the arts, especially in the international community that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And it is interesting. I I think that like, while I have severe concerns about academia, which I know that you do as an academic yourself, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am actually doing a conversation about, or I, I'm doing an interview myself tomorrow, or no, on uh, Thursday, about this. But um, it's it's one of those things where it's like a toss. It, it's complicated, like the like what you were talking about. Your your uh, lineage right Mm -hmm. where it's not as simple as like being a colonizer and being an oppressed person like the you you know and then you're also a settler and all of that Mm -hmm. there's there's like uh there's it's 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 a way of becoming validated that is still unfortunately very powerful mm-hmm. and so I'd rather you do it than other people yeah. <laughs> and that's uh-huh. how I feel about my my you know like uh, uh um people I think one of the things that does come away from it which is weird is that a lot of the people that have gone to Ivy League schools have this sort of internal assumption that they can do things and sort of that is probably because of how people talk to them because of their education, mm-hmm. right? They like, yeah. They're like impressed by it. So, uh, but then they go do amazing things. Like, uh, or there are people that are actually are ashamed of it, right? And kind of try to conceal it because they feel mm-hmm. bad. But, um, you know, like one example is my friend uh, Jorge Mujica, who has just started a, a Cactus International, which is a residency where people can live... Uh, for two weeks, artists can live for two weeks on the other side of the Mex- of the Mexican border, mm-hmm. and experience oh, wow. American imperialism from that angle. Yeah, and yeah. so 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 there's so, you know there are problematic s- institutions. I also have my questions about like, especially in, I have skepticism about any place that for artists like an MFA program where the design is to destroy you, to rebuild mm-hmm. you, like mm-hmm. that's problematic for me, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, who the fuck are you to be destroying people? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're just someone that's been validated by the system. And I've had problems with teachers that were just like ruthless with me. And I can't attribute it to anything other than uh, something as petty as like, oh, they I was I studied under someone else, and they thought that I was a typical photographer that uh, of, of like you know a Tony Chirinos photographer, and just because mm-hmm. they had beef with that photographer, I was <laughs> shit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like yeah, and then you're gonna be dismantling me, like so. I think in that in that sense, I have some problems with it, but at the same time, you can't deny that focusing entirely on your work for a two years plus is not going to make you a better artist. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's for us, we just have to uh, make sure we're like getting 
what we can out of it and that it's for us it's more of an extracting than a uh exhausting relationship to the institution yeah well um do you have anything that you would like to promote? I'd have a lo- have had a lovely time talking to you. I uh, continue to feel very confident in my guest selection process of just looking <laughs> at their Instagram and getting a vibe for them. But um, yeah, do you have stuff coming up? Do you have uh, or, other than or, or are you just like not promoting anything and going and you know buckling down and starting school? Yeah, I um, have been pretty happy to be in a place of like relatively low production Mm -hmm. um and just spending more time thinking about what I want my work to look like now and what I want it to do um so yeah nothing in particular to promote right now but thank you for asking uh (laughs) but we can uh direct people to your website oh sure yeah and uh Anna Iwataki Mm mm-hmm I I say it very Spanish. I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, but I always yeah. I would prefer to err on that and <laughs> then be like Americanized things. Um, and then uh, yeah, I I will definitely have you back uh, at some point because that's kind of the format here. We're trying to build a cast of characters that have thoughts, and I definitely want to look into your insights uh, further down the line, especially once you're in that institution and you're trying to. Um, you know, like protests work and colleges have a tradition of that. So yeah, let's yeah. keep that going. <laughs> well, I'm excited so that you're there. Me. Yeah, oh, it's been my pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. <laughs>